This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown. I'm Alex Smythe. The Ontario Northland Transportation Commission recently held consultations about the return of the Northlander. Riders in this region have been invited to provide their feedback on what they want in their new trains. Sault Ste. Marie community reporter Dorothy McNaughton has the details. Hello, Dorothy. How are you doing this morning? I'm good, thanks, Alex. Okay, perfect. So, Dorothy, you attended a Zoom community consultation with Ontario Northland. What were the new accessibility features that they're adding to these new trains? Well, it's quite fascinating because, you know, anyone that's taken older trains recognizes that they're not terribly accessible. You know, they may have a lift on the outside of the train to help people who use wheelchairs get into the train and out of the train. But beyond that, you know, the washrooms are smaller and all kinds of barriers exist. So the the new trains that Ontario Northland has purchased were paid for by the Ontario government and they're brand new. So because they're brand new, they're much more accessible. And according to the Integrated Accessibility Standards Regulation under the AODA, um, there has to be one accessible train car. So that's what they're complying with. And um, it looks it looks really nifty. Um, anybody that's traveled on trains in Europe, they're very similar. So wider aisles, a, a big space for someone who uses a wheelchair with access to the luggage rack. Um, bigger washrooms, bigger washroom doors. You can put a wheelchair right beside the toilet. Um, like it's all designed to be totally accessible, which is wonderful. And braille on the seat numbers. <laughs> oh, that's that that's phenomenal. So when are these trains set to uh, be in operation? And, and then what will the routes be that these trains will be using? Okay, it looks like 2026. Um, what we were told at the consultation was that 2025 is when they will be testing the trains. Um, next, this coming year, and already they are working on maintenance and bringing everything up to standards. Plus, because the train used to go Toronto to Cochrane and then connect with the Polar Bear Express, now it's going Toronto to Timmins, and there are 16 stops along the way. Um, and then there has to be access Timmins to Cochrane. So they're working on that. Um, so that'll all take time, uh, but um, it can't come suited up for a lot of people. Um, I often took that train to visit my sister in Englehart. So I know they're stopping there because I checked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, having ridden on the Polar Bear Express from Cochrane up yeah. to uh, Moosonee, it, it's a, a fascinating ride. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, yeah, it'd be great to get more of that accessibility to get from Toronto to the, the northern parts of Ontario. So uh, yes. we'll definitely have to keep that marked on our, our calendars. And speaking of calendars, the social calendars are starting to fill up for the season as a local CCB group is having a meeting and a Christmas lunch. So what will be on the agenda for the next CCB meeting? 
Well, it's this Thursday uh, from 1 to 3 at Pine Hill Church of Christ, 132 Cunningham Street, which is where we meet once a month. Um, people are really excited about this meeting because we are having a pharmacist, Jordan Jacks, um, from the West End Pharmacy, Pharmacy, come and speak to us. We have had pharmacists in the past, but not for quite a few years. And um, everybody gets a lot out of it because someone just said to me recently, often pharmacists know more than doctors. <laughs> and, and so uh, expand on that. Like what, what are uh, folks getting out of these types of meetings and, and why are they so helpful? Oh, I'm glad you asked that because ours is the only in-person support group for people with vision loss in the Sioux. And our numbers have grown quite a bit since COVID. Um, people really need information. So we're all about getting people information about services in the community. We're all about getting together socially. And really most important to me is um, supporting each other in any way we can. Um, giving tips and tricks and that kind of thing that helps people who are maybe newer to vision loss. Um, so it, there are so many reasons and we, we just, we just have a, a wonderful kind of networking thing that goes on at every one of our meetings. And so I did tease that there was going to be a Christmas lunch. So when can folks expect the Christmas lunch to take place? Yes, that's Monday, October the 4th at a really nice restaurant, North 82 at 1130. And we, we organize rides. So um, I need to make sure that we know how many people will be going. Um, we do this once a year. And it's just a really uh, fun social time and we can all celebrate Christmas together. Some people don't have a lot of um, family or a lot of Christmas gatherings. So for some people, this is the only one they have. And we, we always have a great time. And I find too, you know, what's encouraging is when I book it, I, I tell the staff, there will be people with vision loss who might need extra help with, you know, what's on the menu and that kind of thing. And the staff are wonderful. They're so accommodating. And it's, so it's an education experience in itself, right? For sure. And, and now, Dorothy, I just want to uh, confirm because you you said it was October fourth. You, I believe, oh, you I'm meant sorry. December fourth. Yeah, don't mind me. <laughs> it's December fourth. That would have been <laughs> a really, days. really early uh, Christmas lunch. But uh, and, too many days to keep track of. Yes, December fourth. Yeah. And, and so you also wanted people if they want to uh, they want to get more information that they can contact you directly, and you have your phone number here. So I will uh, read it out. It's 705-759-0733, 705-759-0733. And there was one more topic you wanted to, to bring forth. As always, you want to always just highlight the getting, rural getting together with technology meeting. What's on the agenda for this month? Yes, you will be interested to hear. Um, a week from today in the evening, 7 p.m. Eastern and 4 p.m. Pacific, um, our group meets uh, via Zoom, and we will have uh, David Gregg from AMI. <laughs> uh, so we've had him before uh, talk about the new programming and talk about AMI+. Plus. There's quite a bit of interest in that. And... Um, you know, we like to get the word out about um, what EMI has to offer. 
Yeah, so that's uh, Greg David, our, our uh, communications specialist uh, uh, with AMI, talking about all the great AMI programming. And uh, so I guess for more information, people can reach out to uh, david.gtt at ccbnational.net. david.gtt at ccbnational.net. Dorothy, thank you so much, and have yourself a wonderful day. Oh, thank you. You too. <laughs> that was Dorothy McNaughton. She is the community reporter in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. In a minute, Laura Bain will be here to share the entertainment report. But first, Steam has updated its handheld gaming console, the Steam Deck. Here's Mike Dubusky with Tech Trends. It is that crossbreed between PCs and the handheld market. IGN's Taylor Lyles says the new Steam Deck OLED ditches the old LCD screen. Essentially, it just means you're getting a brighter screen. It'll have a little bit of better battery performance because OLEDs typically perform better on battery versus a LCD. But overall, it's a subtle refresh. It's definitely not the Steam Deck 2. It's definitely an update of the original Steam Deck. That means there's not a lot of reason to upgrade if you already have a Steam Deck says Lyles, but if you were considering buying one for the first time... We could safely say that this Steam Deck OLED is the definitive version of the first generation of the Steam Deck. The Steam Deck OLED gets 512 gigs of storage and ships for $549, 20 bucks more than the original 256 gig version. With Tech Trends, I'm Mike Dubusky, ABC News. And now it is time for the Entertainment Report with Laura Bain, who is here to discuss Canada's biggest literary honour, which was handed out last night. Laura, you want to share the details of the Scotiabank Giller Prize. Yeah, that's absolutely right, Alex, or the uh, Oscars of the book world, if you will. <laughs> um, so those awards highlight the best in Canadian fiction, and the winner takes home $100,000 in prize money. And this year was noteworthy because it was the 30th anniversary of the award. So uh, I checked out the ceremony this morning, which you can check out on CBC Gem, or I watched it on the CBC YouTube channel. It was hosted by Rick Mercer. And there were a record 145 books submitted for the prize this year, which had me thinking, you know, it takes a little bit of time from a book's inception to its publishing. So perhaps there were some some COVID projects kind of coming to fruition there. Yeah, abs absolutely. So you you mentioned, you know, there's there's the all the different uh, uh, submissions, but who took away the, the big prize last night? Yeah, for sure. Um, so the big prize went to Montreal native Sarah, Sarah Bernstein, and that was for her novel Study for Obedience. So a young woman moves from the place of her birth to the remote northern country of her forebearers to be housekeeper to her brother, whose wife has recently left him. And the book explores themes of complicity, power, and displacement. So um, sounds pretty good. I haven't had a chance to read it. I have to wonder if perhaps Sarah has moved to... Uh, a remote northern country of her forebears because she gave her acceptance speech from her uh, country home in the highlands of Scotland. So that was kind of cool to see. We get to see her shearing some sheep. Um, but of course, it's not just the prize fund that authors take home. There's the well-known Giller effect, and that's been recognized as one of the top drivers of book sales in Canada. Uh, yeah, so even be yeah. well, and and that's it, right? You know, because like anytime there's an award ceremony or anything of that ilk, you you 
you get that bump. You get that kind of highlighting, that, that attention paid to different mediums, whether it's, in this case, it's obviously the literary world, but you could also get it with the Oscars, with the film, you get it with the Emmys, with television, mm. Grammys, with music. It seems to kind of permeate out that anytime there's attention in, in a, uh, a uh, award ceremony highlighting uh, a piece of a media, people are going to want to check it out. That's for sure. And even just for those on the short or even the long list, you know, um, I know that that can be a source for me when I go to look for my next read. I'm wondering if uh, accolades such as the Scotiabank Giller Prize, you know, appeal to you when you're looking for your next read or do they not make any difference? You know, they certainly do. I, I will say that I... I'm a bit of a sucker when you see, especially there's like the big like stamps on, on the book covers and it's nice and shiny, it catches your eye. You're like, mm, I, okay, maybe I'm gonna give this a, a closer inspection. And then you read the back cover, you get a bit more information. And then I, I do tend to kind of at least look into whether it's a book or, or something like that, that, that is winning a literary prize like this, that, okay, let's see if it does pique my interest, uh, more so than any others, because I, I really don't read a lot now. I, I used to be a voracious reader. I haven't been so in, in quite a few years, but that said, the last few books I've picked up have been books that have been either awarded uh, prizes in the literary world or been recognized or nominated. So I guess that goes to show I am uh, following these types of trends as Giller bumped, so to speak. What about you, Laura? Yeah, for sure. Um, and, you know, sometimes I think I see that circular stamp on the audio. For me, it's an audiobook cover, and I don't always necessarily look into what it is. Oh, it's won some sort of prize. But, um, yeah, I find that I, I have a lot of books on my wish list usually, so that's kind of where I go first, ones that I've heard through word of mouth or maybe I heard an interview with the author. Um, and I'm busy with school, so I don't do as much reading as I would like. But then when I kind of run out of that wish list, that's sort of the next place place I'll go is I'll maybe go somewhere like CBC Books where they have things like uh, the the Giller Prize winners listed and I'll start combing through. Something I've really appreciated, um, you know, about the Canadian literary scene, at least as an outsider, is that it does seem to be very inclusive of diverse uh, perspectives in both like the short and long lists in terms of including those from underrepresented communities that I'm always looking to learn about experiences that are different from my own. So in particular, I'd say that's one reason that I do go to places like this to find books rather than maybe just kind of word of mouth or what are on the bestsellers list, because that's not always quite as representative. No, well, that's, that's a great point, Laura. And uh, we'll leave the conversation there, but thank you so much. Have yourself a wonderful day and we'll chat with you tomorrow. Yeah, thanks, Alex. Okay, that was Laura Bain with the Entertainment Report. Coming up after the break, we have the regional news update. And Brock Richardson stops by for a sports chat. You're watching now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv.
Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.